Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. Right Night is a talk show with published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it, from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivart. Welcome to Write Night. We'll get to the topic and discussion in just a moment. For those listening to the podcast, we record the podcast on our live stream at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk, and we have a live interactive chat audience. You might hear the sound of the bell ding, and that means I want to interrupt somebody to read a comment or question. For those on the live stream, we won't read off everything you put in chat, but we'll try to get to the most relevant, the most amusing, or some combination of the both. Now, while we introduce ourselves, go and let us know what you're reading, writing, or creating tonight. Okay, welcome to Right Night. And while you guys are popping that up there in chat, I'll let you know that I am Travis I. Sivart, and the topic tonight is going to be real science and sci-fi and related to that. Um, if you like sci-fi, check out my Journal of a Stranger series or Silver and Smith, which is more of cyber pulp. But that's a whole other topic on itself. Let's see. Aaron, why don't you start by introducing yourself when you're done? Pass it over to Robert. Okay. Hi, I'm Aaron Kennedy, author of Persona Non Grata, Ships of Valor, uh, future uh, author of the uh, Icarus Black series, uh, currently in production. I've uh, been a technical writer for about 25 years, uh, jack of all trades, electrician, uh, heating and air conditioning guy, locksmith, uh, among many other things. Uh, Robert? Uh, hey, I am Robert Turk, author and game designer. Uh, and actually, last year I won a award for my science fiction survival horror role-playing game. Uh, it's a pick-up-and-play game called Starship Infernum. It runs off of blackjack. It's a lot of fun, uh, and it does not have any hard sci-fi <coughs> in it, really, at all. Unless you want to put it in there. It's totally cool. And Aaron, uh, but we... a huge sci-fi... Go ahead, Robert. Sorry. Uh, huge sci-fi fan, and I do. I'm a big. I'm a big science fan, so I do like putting actual science in everything I write. You can find my stuff at wicked-clever.com. Back to Travis. Aaron, we should really get a copy of a couple of his games because they are sit-down-and-play type games, and yeah, I think it'd be a good time. Um, I'm actually a half hour closer to your house now, too. It's, it's, I think I. Yeah, but the. I mapped address to address. We're just over an hour away from each other now. Yes, but that's a lot better than 90 minutes, which it was before. Sometimes two hours with Saturday traffic. But anyhow, going back to this, keep in mind, Robert, you mentioned hard science. The thing is, we don't have to talk about hard science, just real science and science fiction. So I realize most people associate putting real science in your science fiction means it's hard science fiction, but that doesn't always have to be the case. Just like you can do a light and fluffy military sci-fi book. Not common, but... Oh, is it really, Robert? How much is it? 
Um, right now, and I hesitate, to, that's why I typed it, because I don't know when this is going to air, whether it'll still be on sale. Um, I, the, hard, the hardback is a couple of dollars off. The printed one is a couple dollars off. I think it comes to $22. Normally it's $25. Um, and the PDF version, it's probably around 6 bucks. normally $10. $6.69. There we there go. There you go. Okay, and I will look that up more later. It's because uh, that's the thing we get direct through you, uh, Turk, or do we go through Conquest Publishing to get that? Uh, you can probably get it at Conquest Publishing. I don't know if they have any copies right now. Um, the best place to get it, uh, my books are available at your local gaming stores. Uh, they are in uh, worldwide distribution. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them from my website, or you can get them from Drive Through RPG. Which one do you make the most money at? I write role-playing games. I don't make money. That's a fair <laughs> point. <laughs> so, okay. I, it, it. so so let's talk about science, putting real science in your science fiction. Whether you're looking at it from a reader, a role-player, um, we'll of course end up talking about movies at some point in time, but I'll move us more towards the writing-type thing. Um so just a quick runaround before we go into heavy detail. Yeah, your name. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Does it add to it or distract from it? What do you guys think, Aaron? Uh, it adds to it because there are certain people that want science. Okay. Um, there's an expectation. And we'll come back to all this, and we'll discuss the hell out of it. But, Robert? Um, I am a firm believer that putting actual science in a book is much better than putting fake science in a book or worse than that wrong science incorrect science in a book uh, i love it personally when it doesn't bog down the story if i wanted to yeah. bog it down i know how to google i know how to get a textbook i know how to take a college course but you know what you guys ever read michael Crichton pray about the nanotechnology this is a great example where he took some real science, put it in science fiction, explain enough that you feel intelligent, like you got it, without right. bogging it down with extraneous stuff that you're like, ugh. Well, that was his real strength, was the fact that he did a lot of research and then gave us the, the blinkest explanation. Right. The 15 minutes that we needed to remember. Right. Right. Yep. And, uh, and the story moved forward. It did. And it wasn't bogged down, and you felt, yeah, it's charming when an author can make you feel intelligent about something you know nothing about. It's, uh, yeah. See, Wordwin says, <clears throat> it really pisses me off when a sci fi author makes up some shit when they could have used real science and it would have been cooler. Uh, <clears throat> go ahead, Robert. Yes. I, I agree, but I just a, a thought just sparked me because I was thinking about Star Trek, and I know we're focused on writing, mm -hmm. but there is something to be said for imaginative science that still follows the basic guidelines of science, but moves beyond what we understand and are capable of now. Right. If we look at Star Trek, we have created many things in today's modern technology that Star Trek prompted by making up 
Um, not, I, I still say put real science in your book when you put real science in your writing. But a lot of things that we now have have come because, oh, well, they they did it in this. Now how do we really do it? How do we make that okay. happen? No, no, that, that, that's actually an excellent point. And I'm going to use the parody of Star Trek to kind of uh, deal with that. Galaxy Quest, okay? Galaxy Quest, they do the, uh, the crunchers uh, in the thing. And they're like, why are they in here? Because it was in the show. Um, well, no, no, but it's one right. of those, uh, there was no reason for those to be there except for the aliens thought that they needed to be there because they were in the show. Right. Um, but that was the logical explanation for why this completely useless thing was there. But it was a logical explanation. And that's the difference between our science and our fantasy in there is there has right. to be a logical explanation as to why we're dealing with this piece of whatever it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be technology, just a logical explanation. When we're dealing with science, we're talking about logical conclusions. Right. Um, Orson Scott Card pisses me off because he goes, oh, we've got an Ansible device. The ability to communicate at faster than light travel. Basically, you pick up a radio and you can talk across the universe. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com holiday. Mm-hmm. He says, we've got one. And that's it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, Does he need to well, go into I mean, it to further the story? Does it matter why it exists or where it came from? Yes, because it's a key plot point. He's, um, he, for the Ender's Game series, it's a key plot point of the ability to communicate at that level of speed you need something it's just a it's a hole mm -hmm. and it um in a lot of ways i would i would say he's a little more science fantasy and things than yeah, he is he is, science, he is. science fiction and um, it's one of those i'm like okay willful suspension of disbelief and i'm on board with it it's like okay cool i'm a, i'm willing to accept this they've got yeah. the ability Whereas, so, um, the Expanse series, which, if you've heard me rave about it on others of these podcasts, it's one of my favorite series right now. And I am not a huge, hard sci-fi reader. Right. right. But the Expanse series, and I haven't seen much of the TV show. I've read the books. They, uh, clearly, these authors have researched the science. Extensively. Like, you don't have fast. Extensively. But they don't throw it at you. They, they weave it into their story and they only explain things when it's crucial to understanding the story moving forward. And they don't have faster than light travel uh, or faster than light communication. That's one of the cool things about this is if they're talking, if they're out in the asteroid belt and they're talking to people back on Earth, they talk about now we have to sit here and wait 16 minutes for that message to get there. And it's, and it's a way of interjecting the science into the writing that's really cool, but it keeps the story moving. And and 
that's it. With yeah. with um, Orson Scott Card, yeah, he was writing in a sci-fi world, but he was writing a psychological story. Oh, check. And The Expanse is definitely a character-driven story in a sci-fi world. And and it's beautiful, by the way. It's uh, these writers. Yeah. It's amazing. They're they're two authors who came together under the one pen name. And however they've worked it out, it's incredible because you can tell when it's one in particular because he gets this one line of prose that's just like, God, that's a beautiful sentence. And the other guy is probably the science guy. Um, I'm guessing. I have no idea, but it's it's incredible. Um, Werdewin did say regarding Ender's Game that Orson Scott Card didn't talk about that communication thing you mentioned, Aaron, um, because then people might figure out the twist at the end. And Werdewin also says they found out regarding the expanse. They also found out they made some mistakes and fixed things going forward. Because, as Werdewin mentioned, when we were still in the intro and the topic was the only thing apparent, um, things change. And if you love writing sci-fi, there comes a point in time where your sci-fi is now outdated. Now, that might be long after you pass, or it might be next week when they make a breakthrough and you're like, oh, I published three books um, using this concept. Go ahead, Robert. <laughs> right. So, uh, a few weeks back, I bought a hybrid car. The way the hybrid car works is, friggin your braking power charges your battery, which runs your motor, uh, not your engine, the motor, which friggin increases your gas mileage. Friggin' Robert Heinlein talks about shipstones way back in the 50s and 60s as kind of this concept. Basically, your car has to, any braking has to pay for the energy forward. It's the same concept, but it's basically catching up. He was using, hey, we got to have braking power and so forth. So the science has to catch up, and now you're looking at it going, oh, well, if you were to read the same book today, it looks outdated. You know, Whereas, in fact, he's ahead of his time. I'm going to go back to Expanse real quick. Speaking of flipping, speaking of breaking, in the Expanse, one thing you they cover through all the books multiple times is when these ships are flying through space and they're going from Earth to Saturn or Earth to Neptune, you have a multiple day to multiple month point where that ship then flips and points in the other direction, uses its own propulsion system as a braking system. And I'm sure other people have done this. I'm sure if I read more oh, yeah. sci-fi. Oh, Ron Hover talks about that. But this is so well done and smooth and natural in there. And the way they talk about, you know, the shifting of the gravity, depending what plane your ship is on, or plane as in geometric plane. Right. Um, <clears throat> well, and it's all about the acceleration. Right. It's not about the speed. It's about are we accelerating, which creates the feel of gravity, which gives you the Gs. Right. And yeah. once we stop accelerating, we will continue at that speed without feeling the Gs. And at some point, you got to flip around or you're going to crash hard into wherever you're going. Right. Because you, it's not like just putting on the brakes on wheels. You've got to thrust in the other direction. And Yes. But that's a really fun thing with the science. Aaron, I'm sorry, did I, or Robert? No, 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 you, you're fine. Um, uh, one, of, one of the early science fiction writers was Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and his science absolutely does not hold up 
to a modern audience. There is conje- he he may have wrote what he absolutely understood to be the case at the time. It turned out a lot of it was wrong. And so reading it as a modern audience, for instance, the shooting a cannon at the moon, right? Uh, or, or talking about going to outer space in a weather balloon. Um, there was a point where I wanted to, uh, as a storyteller, present Edgar Allan Poe as a character and started reading his entire body of work. His horror is great. He was very popular as a science fiction writer of his time, but to a modern audience, the science is wrong. It does not hold Are you thinking up. of Jules Verne? No, I'm thinking of Edgar okay. Allan Poe. No, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Uh, but keep in mind... <clears throat> Okay, Ben Franklin was one of the guys that created the first batteries. He coined the term battery for electrical stuff. Sure. So electrical theory um, didn't come about until the late 1700s. Edgar Allan Poe died in 1849. So we're only talking... You know what I find amazing? 50-year time period for that portion of science. Right, but we were talking about how the, the, the... the science catches up to what the authors oh. already imagined. Sometimes an author gets it flat out wrong, mm. and, it, and it does not hold up. I find it amazing when I read a book that's a hundred or a hundred and fifty years old, and the science is still right. Yes, uh, and this yes. happens a lot with medicine, and it makes me look at our our modern medicine, going, okay, so now we wash our hands more. But there's not a lot of difference between what they did then and what we do now, besides we have a cleaner operating arena. Um, right. I mean, germ theory. We've, we've learned right. about how, how to... And, and we don't use leeches as often. <laughs> no, we, we go to well, maggots because they're sanitary. They're we still use them and maggots, right. but not as often. A, a leech is not the cure for everything. <laughs> no. no, no. Bleeding is uh, less of a thing. So, yeah, science... But it's fun when they get it right, and I read something, and I'm like, oh, my God, we, you know, how how well, backwards will we seem in 150 years? Well, the, the idea of fingerprints and stuff like that, that goes back to Sherlock Holmes. That wasn't proven science. That was a conjecture. Um, it's still not proven science. Matter of fact, it's disproved science. I have fingerprints. I can look at them. <laughs> That's true. That, that is the proven part. <laughs> <laughs> but the uniqueness with the amount of no, people no, we have no, on the planet, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. They're nowhere near unique. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> so, oh. I when I write, I love to put science into my work for a few reasons. First of all, I love the research. And there's some things I'm just fascinated by. And I want to share things about graphene or magnetic propulsion or whatever with other people. Now, something I will say, if you're going to write real science into your books, as we discussed earlier with Michael Crichton, there's a right level. If you put too much in, it can get boring or show you actually don't know as much as you think you do. If you put too little in, it can not support your story the way you want it to or make you sound lacking in knowledge. There's a middle ground you got to kind of seek out. Yeah, Aaron? It, it touches a flavor. It's like salting a dish. You don't need a whole lot, but you need just a, a hint, something to bring the fat and the flavor out. Um, I'm going to use my own book here. Um, I've got 
one of the primary characters in the book is an AI. It's a sentient ship. I touch on how they come about, and I say, okay, it's, it's the interrelationship of the hyperspace drive. I believe I explained the hy- how the hyperspace works in a paragraph and a half, and I'll leave it at that. I get out of that as quickly as I possibly can. I say, hey, every AI we got was linked to a hyperspace at one time or another. Done, and I'm out. I touch it and leave it alone. Give the reader the chance to do that. But I try to do that almost anywhere. I leave description alone wherever possible because I'm a firm believer that the reader has a better imagination than my narrative skill. They're going to fill in the gaps on their own. And they're going to be able to go, oh, I know this concept. I've heard this. And they, they'll get to where they need to get. And hopefully, if I didn't do a good enough job, my alpha, my beta readers, and my editors are going to catch it for me and go, hey, you need to expand on this a little. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Travis also brought up a point about researching the science and and, uh, and finding stuff that he's cool and finding ways to put it in his book. Um, that absolutely... Uh, it, it, it goes back to that, that phrase that you hear all the time for authors is write what you know, um, but that can include research. Yes. Is, is going, and if, if you want this in your book, learn about it. Go learn it so that you can write realistically about it. Um, now, Persnickety Jones, my, my middle grade book, my most recent published book, Persnickety Jones and the Pirates of Undertow, it is a fantasy adventure modern fantasy adventure story her brother gets sucked down the bathtub drain okay Ooh, not scientifically accurate that can't happen you cannot get sucked down the drain into the sewers and go on a magical boat ride Wait, with talking animals. what if you're hiding under a tub and there's a tornado above it uh, no, no, no no but okay. there comes a point in the book where they are going through a lightning storm all right, and there's the very real possibility that they are sailing in this metal dinghy that they could get electrocuted. It's scary for the characters. I wanted it to be scary for the reader, and I thought I had a solution for them. Um, I thought, you know what? If they put on rubber galoshes, they're grounded. They won't get zapped by electricity. That's why electricity goes through the car or through you if you have your rubber shoes. That is not correct. <laughs> I went and I was like, I don't know what would happen. What happens if you get struck by lightning on a metal boat in the water? Would it kill you? If you put on rubber shoes, yes, it will. Um, but I had to go and research how does electricity work in this specific situation um, and change what I had written because I don't want to give kids bad science, especially bad science that if they follow what the characters in the book did, could end up killing them if they happen to be in the same circumstances. If um, only he knew an electrician. Right. Uh, well, they had to create a lightning rod on the boat to take the electricity if the boat got zapped and channel it to the water past them. D- um, does and the that's boat get the zapped? science behind the boat does get zapped okay. multiple times. Oh, nice. And okay. they survive because they made a lightning rod. Because um, they science. And, and actually the characters, because that's the science, they start to put on rubber galoshes and the lead character says, wait, 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 that's not actually what you do. We learned about this in science class and explains to them what to do, how to get out of this situation. But I would have written it totally 100% wrong 
and I've been on boats, sailboats in lightning storms, um, but I would have written it wrong if I had not stopped and said, you know what? I don't know that I fully understand this. Let me go look it up and see what the actual science, the actual way to do this. So that's, that's my little story right there. That's a good little story. Look at you using science and all that. Using science. We're going to science the shit out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. That's like intestine research. Because you're going to science know. the out of any. I mean, if you're writing, <laughs> if you're writing a, a combat scene or if you're writing a murder mystery, you got to know the science of how, you know, is this wound in your gut? How long is it going to take for that person to die? Is actually, this actually, I had this conversation live on Twitch with John of Conquest Publishing, and I believe Werdewin was there also when writing book one of Silver and Smith. We got to talking about how bullet wounds are largely, the, the death from bullet wounds are largely based on that person's mental state and anxiety after being shot. And how what may not be a fatal wound, somebody could die from because basically psychologically they've ramped it up so much they go into shock. Mm -hmm. and shock is what kills you. Other people who, you know, they get shot and it goes through because of, you know, adrenaline. They don't even know they've been hit and they keep moving. Of course, this, as Aaron just mentioned, blood loss changes this. Hitting a vital organ changes this. You know, right. Snapping the leg off at the knee so they can't stand. That, that puts a damper on things. Um, but, yeah, it's there's other people who can take a shot and, and keep moving. So the mental state has a lot to do with that, too. And we discussed that. We also discussed the difference in smell of different animals' feces, whether they're an herbivore, carnivore, or omnivore, live in a Twitch stream while I was writing, and yeah, yep. because there's a yeah, big difference. Uh, what, who is it? Spider Harrison. Robinson. Robinson? Robinson. Sorry, Spider Harrison's the DJ for Spider Robinson's. The, and there's Spider Harry Harrison uh, and the Stainless Steel Rat. Correct. Yeah, one of my favorite authors. Um, he talks about it in uh, his Death Killer ser series, right. um, where if you want to keep deer away from your property you piss on the thing it doesn't work if you're an herbivore vegetarian right, right. yeah <laughs> it's great that you had to throw vegetarian in there in case people are like am i an herbivore <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> look 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 we gotta explain science that's, that's, so, that's so right. what you're saying here is that if if you just eat vegetables your piss doesn't stink well, no, if you just no, read because no. <laughs> asparagus, yes, it will. Right, or broccoli, yes, absolutely it will. <laughs> it just won't scare deer away. It won't scare deer away. It'll attract gophers. Be careful. <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> I was outside whizzing on the tree, and because I'm a vegetarian, suddenly there was a woodchuck gnawing on my wood. <laughs> Let me tell you how much. That's right. <laughs> So that's not that's not good science. Back to good science. But <laughs> I don't have it. No, no. Uh, does it progress the story? Does it help the story, or is it fluff? Um, is it minutia that we don't care about? Um, I was doing a beta read for a buddy of mine, 
uh, and he explained he had a stream of consciousness novel where he explained every little piece of minutia that was re related to science. Um, yeah, yes, that's the look. Um, <laughs> um, and some of it was good. Um, others of it was, okay, no, no, we got trim, trim, trim. Uh, we got to get rid of this. Because um, it didn't help the story. All it was was added word count. Um, and yapping. Right. I also think how you deliver it makes a lot of difference. You know, if it's coming from, as we've discussed in other episodes of Right Night, if it's being experienced by your characters, so not only is it adding to the story, but your character is learning it so it doesn't sound like or feel like you're lecturing your reader. You can lecture the characters all you want and your reader is standing there at third person enjoying it or learning along with it, one of the two or feeling sorry for them, or whatever you're portraying in that scene. But, yeah, the way you present the information. And then again, as we've mentioned, relevance after you do. If, if we're going to explain, you know, geothermic layers of the planet, and it never comes into play, why? Right. Was that mentioned? So there is one time when I think you can stray away from best science um, to create an emotional connection. And, and this struck me watching a movie the other day. Uh, going back to the Expanse series, um, their ships don't have windows, all right? Because they have computer screens. The cockpit of the ship can be anywhere in the ship. It doesn't matter right. because of the way they fly and the way they flip. And having windows in the depths of space is a bad idea. Right. All right. You're, it's it's another point for catastrophic failure. And and so I was thinking about this and thinking, why do our spaceships then still have windows with our computer technology, with our cameras and everything? Why do our spaceships still have windows? And I was watching this Netflix movie. Um, uh, What's the name of it? Solitude, or it's the one where there's an extra crew member on there, all right? And they realize that they're going to run out of air. It, it ties back to a classic science fiction story. Right. Um, and it's not Solitude. I don't remember the name of it, but it, it just came out on Netflix. They have windows on the ship, and that creates a wonderful human emotional connection. Yes. Because they can look out those windows and see the expanse of space. And they can see the dwindling earth and they can see what they are leaving behind. And it and it is that human connection of being able to see that and know it's out there and physically see it and not see it off of a computer screen that makes an emotional connection. So even though the good science says you shouldn't have windows on your spaceships, I don't actually see us as humans embracing that. Right. Because we want to see where the hell we're going. Right. And even if your computer screen shows it, if you have a catastrophic, a catastrophic failure, you want to be able to look out the window and go, oh, damn, I'm about to die. And let me read a couple right. comments, if I may. Uh, Ghost helped you out saying, it's the stowaway, I think. I just watched it. Yeah, stowaway. And, I didn't finish it. And but, then John yeah. of Conquest Publishing says, use science versus jargon only if it's useful. 
but usually jargon is actually what characters in the book are saying. And that's fair, because you can make you can make it feel science-y by using jargon. And that's yeah. great. But in Silver and Smith 2 that, that I'm currently editing, there's a point in time where I did a few episodes with my editor and there was one piece of science that she happens to know about because of her day-to-day job. And she actually went, that's actually great because most people get that wrong and you got it right. And I was so happy to hear this because it wasn't something I researched. It's what intuitively felt correct to me and I've been using for a while. So to hear I was just right (laughs) as it was, I'm like, oh, well, that's great to hear because... Yeah, I didn't. It wasn't even something I thought to go research. I just, I, I, I would add to what John said mm-hmm. and what and what you were sort of saying there. The jar- jargon is useful, especially it's the way your characters talk. Right. But at some point, if your characters are talking in jargon and acronyms, you got to clue the reader in to what that means. Because if you've ever listened to military people, especially military mechanics talking about stuff Mm -hmm. I have no clue what they're talking about they know what they're talking about but if it doesn't convey to your reader what they're talking about that dialogue shouldn't even be there no I I, I actually disagree on that one okay Uh, if you ever get a chance go back and listen to the old dragnet radio show okay Um, quick easy to listen they're all available online uh, but they'll It'll start with, like, pick up a phone call. Nope, you want such and such. Nope. And they'll use terms like APB and things like that. Um, But it's all context-driven. It's picked up throughout the course of the show. Yes. That's that's what I'm saying. They do it seamlessly, and you've got to do it right. Uh, Right. Jargon is great, but you've got... uh, You can't... You've got to make it work correctly. Um, Uh... and like swearing, okay? Uh, Ari in my novel doesn't. He swears, but he doesn't drop f bombs. He doesn't drop c bombs. He doesn't. He doesn't use modern swears. He'll say things like Einstein's ghost, um, phrasing like that. The book is technically PG because he never swears, but he's swearing the entire time. Just not. Uh, he'll use terms like bloody instead of the traditional ones. Um, but you pick it up via context. Uh, who was it? Uh, Dragon Riders of Pern did the same kind of thing. They did substitutions, but you knew what they were. Um, right. But and that's all. That's all I'm actually saying. We're agreeing here. Oh is, yeah. No. no I, is make it clear to your. You have to find the ways to make it clear to your readers. You don't have to come out and say HUD stands for heads up display, but you have to make it clear to your readers. If you just use jargon like two people in that situation may talk without ever cluing anybody in about what they're talking about, that won't work for a reader. You have to find those ways, like Dragnet did it, or like The Expanse does it, to clue your readers in to what they're talking about. And then other times, it's fun to have your reader be clueless. For example, if you ever were in one of those old diner type restaurants and they had all these shorthand terminologies that they would shout back and forth between the kitchen and the waitress 
And we've seen these in commercials and other movies and all these other things. And it's just hilarious. You're like, what? What are they talking about? I have no idea. I know all these words, but not in this way. And that can be fun to create a scene with that. Aaron? Sure. Uh, Ghost brings up a great point. Uh, no, uh, Ghost, you are absolutely correct that we do understand how much the middle grade books, we understand how much those characters would swear if they could. Right. Um, kids swear. They've got dirty mouths. We come from the future. We swore. We get it but publishers aren't going to allow that. So we've got to be creative about it. Um, the opening scenes in uh, It. Now, that's not a middle-grade book, but you've got, well, you've got the kid calling each other's a-holes uh, until right towards the end where he actually drops asshole, uh, and it's taboo uh, right before he gets his arm ripped off. Uh, you, you can get that tucked back up in if it drops. His arm? No, you said he... Never mind, go on. Yeah, okay. You're a-hole? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> but so, basically what I'm seeing here from Ghost is Ghost needs another word, because Ghost is Australian, so the C word is common there, but with a middle grade book that might go further than Australia, needs a synonym. I mean, can you just call it the C-bomb? That's what and I say, typically use in polite conversation. They drop the C-bomb. <laughs> you little C-bomb. I, um, I would have to read the sentence to, to help you with that. I, I cannot think of a middle grade appropriate euphemism for that that term. Uh, yeah. That conveys the same level of... <laughs> vulgarity. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, or at least vulgarity to an American audience. It might not be a very vulgar word to an Australian audience. But um, when it comes to writing for middle grade, it, you, you're not just writing for the kids. You're writing for the kids' teachers and parents. Yes. And the um, librarian who's going to make that and recommendation. The, and the librarian who reads it. And and uh, the librarians that I know for elementary school, at least, read every book that comes into the library before they give it to kids. Right. Um and by the way, John says, as an example, during a casualty, the characters are shouting out tech jargon, but the point is the casualty and the jargon clues you into it's a technical issue. Same thing for the food Absolutely. thing in the kitchen, where you, yeah. you hear different things and you can kind of imagine, you know, you know, a lone survivor on a raft or whatever it might be. Well, we know they're making breakfast food. The raft could be toast and it could be an egg on it. So, yeah, you can kind of piece it together, though you're not sure. And that can be fun well, to confuse. I mean, Go ahead. Uh, you can do that via after actions, things like that. Uh, using John's example here, uh, you have a, uh, a shouting match, but you can have a court martial after a courts martial after the fact, uh, or an after action report back briefing where they got to explain what's going on, uh, where the guys just explain, okay, this is what's happened. Okay, hey, wh what does that term mean? Oh, such and such, sir. Um, there's a great uh, meme that was running around where PC Flowers uh, apprehended the thing. Well, we need to. We need PC Flowers to write a report. Uh, PC Flowers can't do that. Why not? You know what? I want one anyway. PC Flowers is a dog. Police Constable Flowers is a dog. So they freaking went and caught that. I chased bad guy. I caught bad guy. I bit bad guy. And they put the uh, uh, put the dog's paw print as a signature. Nice. Right. Nice. Okay. 
Let's get some closing thoughts for this topic of oh, real science and your sci-fi. I think, uh, Robert, why don't you take this away first? Sure. Um, I, I would, I mean, I go back to my closing thoughts on everything. Move your story forward. That's, that's the point of telling a story. That's the point of writing fiction is to tell your story. Move it forward. Use real science, uh, any point you can, but you don't have to get bogged down in explaining that science. Let it be part of the narrative. Let it be part of your story. Um, do not write fake science because that could kill kids on a boat in a lightning storm. Figure out the real stuff, do your research, and write your damn story. Aaron? I'm going to flip that backwards. Everything you write should keep them in the willful sense of disbelief. Okay? Don't write anything that's going to pull them out of that. Uh, anything that makes your reader go, what the fuck, should be avoided. Uh, pardon my French, I apologize. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those, if they, if they go, huh? No, that ain't right. You need, to, you need to trim it. You either need to fix it or trim it. Um, if you're going to use a piece of science, um, it needs to be correct. Um, it needs to be believable. If it's, made, if it's made up, you can make science up. You can make all the science up you want. But it's got to keep in that realm of plausible disbelief. Uh, the movie uh, Fifth Element's got all kinds of plausible disbelief in it. Uh, Star Wars got lightsabers. Laser swords. Those aren't real! <laughs> but we believe it. So, go with that. Just don't let the audience go, huh? Very good. Travis? I'm going to wrap this up by saying consistency is important. <clears throat> Make sure your science matches all the way throughout your book or your series, etc. And it's okay uh, to disagree quickly, quickly with Robert right there to have fake science. But if you're going to have fake science, make it something that we don't even have science for yet. You know, right. uh, teleporting between interdimensional realities across the multiverse. Got to use fake science for that one. But when it comes down to a few things, you know, that are, uh, I don't know, I almost want to say flat earth, but let's wrap this up because say goodnight to everybody <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get out of here, guys. Oh. Good night. And, and yeah, I'm with John. Uh, lightning swords, laser swords are coming. I, I saw Mythbusters. They made one. They're working on it. Okay. Have a great night, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode of Right Night. Let's do the outro. Before we go, I want to remind everyone that you can email us at rightnightshow at gmail.com. That's right with the W, night with an N, show at gmail.com. To let us know your thoughts on the show's topics, suggest other topics you'd like to hear us discuss, or just have the message read out, out on air to someone in your life. Thanks to everyone for supporting the show by downloading the podcast, sharing it on social media, grabbing some shirt stickers and mugs from bit.ly slash tavern merch, or barware patches and hats from bit.ly slash tavern merch too. That's bit.ly slash tavern merch or tavern merch followed by the number two. Thanks to everyone who joined us live at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk and everyone who supports the tavern by subscribing, posting, throwing bits, raids, and most of all, commenting.
Thank you for joining author Travis I. Sivart and the other writers, content creators, and all-around amazing people for our discussion here on Writing. Join us again soon, and until you do, make sure you create with passion, enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right now. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday.